Escape Pod, 352. July 5th, 2012. Food for Thought, by Laura Lee McArdle. Welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Merle Lafferty. I'm about to head out of town for a week and a half, and I'm running around like a disorganized podcaster with my head cut off, so end caps will be short and sweet. Today's story is Food for Thought by Laura Lee McArdle. Ms. McArdle lives in Winnipeg, Manitoba, where she produces large babies and small stories. Only one of these activities requires a great deal of effort. Her fiction has appeared in AE, the Canadian Science Fiction Review, and Daily Science Fiction. You can find her work at LowerLeeMcArdle.com. This is an Escape Pod original. It is narrated by the funny author Christiana Ellis, who has assured me she will never turn down an opportunity to play livestock. You can find her work at ChristianaEllis.com. So remember, we're not here to make friends, but it's time to get ready for some story time. And action. Food for Thought by Laura Lee McArdle He didn't look much like the humans I knew, their eyes squinting out of wind-burnt faces from atop the backs of their rude horses. This one had a face like butter, not a wrinkle to be seen, and he didn't arrive on a horse, rude or otherwise, just popped out of thin air and started talking to me, not at me, to me. "'Slow down,' I said, flicking a fly off my broad backside. "'Wilfred, right?' "'You are responsible for the fence-posts?' "'Yeah, sure,' said Wilfred. "'Now listen to me. I need a thirty-second vignette when I say action. Can you do that for me?' "'Sure,' I said. I love to talk about myself. "'You heard the animal,' he shouted to no one I could see. "'Food for thought. Take one. Action!' "'Um, Bess here. Folks call me the conspiracy theorist.' And I laugh. But, honestly, if you don't spend some time speculating out here, what are you going to do? Me, I walk the fence, count the posts, and calculate trigonometric functions. And I am convinced that there is a way to get my 1,200-pound bulk past these 4,000-odd posts and reams of barbed wire. By the way, I've come pretty far with the weight issue, thank you very much. The secret is small, frequent meals, so I pretty much eat a little bit all the time when I'm not counting posts. The other trick that I don't think any of my sisters have clocked onto is to just not use stomachs three and four. Sure, it takes practice, even surgery for lesser minds, but if you don't have a project out here, you will simply go mad. But I digress. The fence around East Pasture, the present location of my languid existence, has 4,409 posts. That's a rather large prime number. Coincidence? I think not. The fences clearly attest to separate the truly intelligent from the herd. Since I am clearly at the pinnacle of bovine braininess and already somewhat estranged from my herd, I know it's only a matter of time before I pass. Cut! screamed Wilfred, beaming. Bess, my dear, that was gorgeous. You are a natural-born... 
monologist. He clapped and did a little dance that made his sequined garment bounce and sparkle in the sun. Monologist? Is that a word? Whatever. You, the monologue, the viewers are going to lap it up. I, he paused for effect, am a genius. I snorted. I thought you said I was the genius. Did I say that? I meant savant. Anyway, you found the post, and you're coming in loud and clear on the translator, so season 24 is a go. He degenerated into dancing again, executing an exuberant pirouette. Hold on a minute there, Wilf. I did the little self-introduction you wanted. I've been extremely cooperative. Now fill me in. What's the real deal with the fence? Where did you come from, and why are you testing me? Wilfred poked a handheld device with his index finger and yelled instructions toward some point behind him. Frank, roll cameras. I need tape of this. Rolling, Wilf, a disembodied voice answered. Excellent. Now, Bess, you know those humans who come here, check you over, give you medicine. He grinned in a way that raised the hair on the back of my neck. Yeah? He leaned in close to my twitching ears. They grind you up and eat you. I knew it, I bellowed and stamped. I've said it over and over again, but no one takes me seriously. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I trotted in circles, trying not to hyperventilate, while Wilfred watched with obvious pleasure. Wait a second, I rounded on Wilfred. You're one of them, human. Excuse me, I am not one of them. He imitated the swagger of a cowboy and scratched his head with an expression of slack-jawed confusion. In my time, the food is robo-cultured in, like, another sector or something. That's the whole point of filming the past. You're from the future? I was incredulous. Yes, yes, but I don't expect you to understand, being pre-sentient and all. I film Food for Thought. It's a massively popular serial where food species compete for a chance to escape their fate. Do or die, babe. It's massively popular. Massively popular, blah, blah, blah. I get that you're making a show. I flicked my tail in annoyance. But aren't you afraid tooling around in the past will, like, erase your present or something? What's that? The grandfather paradox? Ugh, how pedestrian. Wilfred rolled not only his eyes, but his whole head to demonstrate the extent of his exasperation. Seriously, Bess, you don't think we'd fuck with our own timeline. <laughs> this timeline's a dud. Your humans blow it all to hell about 200 years from now. What, are we going to make it worse? Okay, so you're operating under a many worlds interpretation. And do you have to swear so much? Ugh, not an interpretation, genius. And do you have to be such a bumpkin? He yawned loudly. I'm bored. Find a way over that fence if you value your skin. Your next interview is in a month. You won't see them, but the cameras are rolling. He vanished with a pop. I guess Wilfred couldn't see the weather from the future because he appeared next in nothing but a red feather necklace and body paint. 
the downpour plastered the feathers to his spoon chest and dripped off of his gilded genitals. Save the excuses, Bess. I need monologue first, then we discuss your monumental failure. Then I'm out of here. I oriented myself in the direction of his impatient waving, took a deep breath and plunged into the monologue, resolved to put a positive spin on things and stay in the game. I don't like to use the word failure. I prefer to think of my previous attempts as learning experiences. My first foray into fence crossing involved the creation of a ramp using the only materials at my <clears throat> disposal. Okay, it was an amateurish scheme. I should have calculated the volume of materials required versus the area of pasture required to produce said volume. In the end, it just became too long of a walk to uh, unload at my building site. Learning experience number one, gained resource management skills. At that point, I decided to undertake physical and mental conditioning in order to leap the fence under my own power. I undertook aforementioned weight loss strategies, took up jogging, and performed endless sets of squats and burpees with iron determination. Again, I could have saved myself considerable duress if I had undertaken a mathematical analysis before all that training. Even with my newly developed and truly awesome two-and-a-half-foot vertical, 18 miles per hour wasn't fast enough to get the entire length of my body over the fence before landing. Cow jumped over the moon, my arse. Learning experience two gained agility. In any case, further efforts in that vein were thwarted by a well-meaning but completely misguided intervention on the part of my immediate herd. You'll never get to calf if you keep losing weight. The humans favor plump ladies. They blathered on, and I smiled and nodded. There was just so much concern in their big, dumb eyes, I didn't have it in me to argue. Boo-hoo-hoo, interrupted Wilfred. Two-and-a-half-foot vertical? Let's bypass excuse Phil, please. Have some respect and let me finish, I shot back. Forget it. We've got enough tape to wrap up, seeing as you lost. Let me make that official. Beef will not proceed to round two. He paused and shook rainwater off his handheld device with the blinking lights. Ha! The translator actually picked diagrams out of your primitive brain. Grade school stuff, but I bet the kids will love the visuals. I can already see them building shit piles in the streets. <laughs> he chuckled. I doubt it will rate as highly as the bovine gastric dissection, though. It took me a minute to process his last sentence. Put two and two together. You killed Rosie. They found her quartered at the side of the road. Wilfred jumped. There must have been fire in my eyes. For educational purposes, we had to explain your comment about multiple stomachs in a way that wasn't boring. And she was going to die anyway, he finished haughtily. Yeah, and so are you, I charged forward. I didn't exactly have a plan, but I was going to kick him in his quivering golden bollocks for a start, and so help me God whatever happened after that. Before I'd closed three feet, I heard the telltale pop of Wilfred's escape, but instead of being left alone in the rain, I was suddenly nowhere at all. 
or maybe I was everywhere. All four of my stomachs protested against the sensation of moving both left and right, up and down, all at the same time. The only thing I could clearly comprehend was the screaming voice that filled the swirling non-space. You weren't supposed to take the fucking cow! Sunlight. I squinted and made out Wilfred cringing in front of a weathered clapboard wall. He stumbled backward, mashing his blinking device and swearing. I snorted and pawed the ground, about to complete my righteous ball-stomping charge. But what was that smell? I paused half a second and took in sweet hay, gunpowder, blood. And then the building behind Wilfred exploded. I wheeled around and dived behind a haystack as ash and kindling rained from the sky. Gunshots rang out and were answered by more gunshots, but I didn't dare poke my head out to see what was going on. I cowered there, eyes closed, cursing my pride for going along with Wilfred's stupid contest. Not only could I eat a stray bullet any second, far worse than that, my selfishness had gotten my cousin Rosie murdered. I had been more worried about proving my superior intellect than the fate of my herd. I had to find a way back. I had to undo this. I opened my eyes to find Wilfred crouched beside me, sharing my hiding spot. You little... Shh! He slapped a hand over my mouth, eyes wide. Are you trying to get us both killed? What are you even afraid of? I whispered back fiercely. Shouldn't you be armed with some kind of a ray gun or at least have a force shield? And perhaps I should have thought of that before I charged at him. You imbecile, he said, voice squeaking in terror. Wars in the future are entirely psychological. There was a break in the shooting. I risked a peek around the side of the haystack. A man in a tattered Stetson emerged from the dust. His left shirt sleeve was soaked in blood, but he strolled into the street as though he felt no pain. Enough of the goddamn booby traps, Doolin. Come out here and let's finish this off like men, he shouted. You ain't no honest man, Barker, called a high-pitched voice from somewhere in the wreckage of the buildings. That's bullshit, Doolin, said Barker calmly. Sure, I stole your woman. But I always been up front about woman stealing. What did I say when you joined the gang? I said, Name's Clive Barker, woman stealing's my game. Welcome here. That's not a word of lie, and you know it. Doolin answered with another fireball. Behind our haystack, Wilfred had gone catatonic, and I was beginning to think a huge pile of flammable material was not an ideal hiding spot. Hey, Wilf! I whispered under the renewed gunfire. You dropped us in the middle of this. Why don't you just use your flashy thingy to get us out of here? He stopped his rocking long enough to give me a withering glare. I didn't transport us. Some moron technician caught you in the transport envelope and as a result dumped me wherever the hell this is instead of back in my office jacuzzi like he was supposed to. So what's the flashy thingy for? 
communicator. It's called a communicator. How else am I supposed to let simple-minded staff know when to transport? How else am I supposed to interview boorish bovines, for that matter? For the love of O. Henry, it's just not worth working with you inane pre-sentient anymore. So what's stopping you from ordering the simple-minded staff to yank us back to East Pasture? Are you listening to anything I'm saying? Your extra mass fucked up the transport. My asinine assistants will probably be recalibrating for a half hour before they can even pinpoint my position. He resumed rocking. Well, if it's a communicator, what about a distress signal? I asked. I was afforded another eye and head roll. You really are ignorant, you know that? Anyone could answer a distress call. Would you prefer lusty space pirates to pyromaniac cowpokes? At least the cowboys don't know I'm here. My eyes narrowed. I could see the gears turning in his selfish little head. If I didn't think of something fast, Wilfred would transport out of here without me the moment his technicians restored communication. I would never have a chance to get home and do right by my herd. But I had a hunch. Hey, Barker! I give up. I'm behind the big haystack by the stable, I shouted at the top of my lungs. Wilfred's eyes turned to saucers. He tried to scramble away, but I'd already pinned him to the wall with my broad behind. Send the distress call, I hissed, and I couldn't help smiling as I added, It's do or die, baby. What are you playing at? came Barker's voice from somewhere nearby. That don't sound like you, Doolin. Show yourself. I'm hurt, I yelled back as Wilfred squirmed. It's sent, it's sent, he pleaded. Will you shut up already, you insane bitch? I lifted my head in time to see Barker reload his pistol and take aim at the haystack. I heard the report of his first shot, and then everything stopped. Wilfred wasn't squirming, and Barker was frozen with one eye closed, sighting down the barrel of his gun. Is this how time slows down when you're about to die, I wondered? But then the sky split open, and rocket engines tore through the silence. A metal craft completed a fiery descent not thirty feet from where Barker stood motionless and came to rest on the scorched earth. A ramp folded out of its side with a hiss of pressure equalization. The being that disembarked was finely muscled, agile, and clothed, but he was definitely bovine. Greetings, ancestor, said the spacefaring future bull. I am here to fulfill a causality loop. our story. Sometimes we just have to run a story about a time-traveling cow, because if we don't, who will? And then what will happen to the children, I ask you, hmm? Before we get to the boilerplate, let's hear from Nathaniel Lee and what you guys have been saying back in the feedback room. The Precambrian. Crap. I'm still only in the Precambrian. Every time I think I'm going to wake up back in the future, it was worse after the first hundred episodes. I'd wake up and I'd be nothing. When I was reading, I wanted to be editing. When I was editing, I was just waiting to record feedback segments. Been here a week now. Caught episode 346, 
Hawksbill Station by Robert Silverberg. Story about time travel and political prisoners. The four might seem to like it. For example, Cutter McKay said, The best word I can find to describe this story, I think, is comfortable. Yes, it was long. Yes, it was slow-paced. But Silverberg did a masterful job at pulling me into the Precambrian world and then just letting me sit there and experience a slice of these inmates' lives. And what I saw and heard and experienced was both interesting and entertaining. Not entertaining in the same sense as a Hollywood action flick or a comedy, but I found myself thoroughly enjoying the setting, the characters, the many minor conflicts from food gathering to slow-onset psychosis. By definition, this was entertaining as an agreeable occupation for the mind. Electric Paladin wrote, In most time travel stories, I'm annoyed when the human continuum is somehow special and protected, as if the typical non-theistic science fiction universe cares what happens to a bunch of particles, even if those particles happen to be in the shape of a human being of historical importance. In this story, though, the message wasn't, human history is so important that it can't be messed with through time travel, but more, individual humans are so inconsequential that we can dump a hundred of them in the Precambrian and it won't hurt anything. This was much more my speed. Infinite Monkey capped off a brief argument about the butterfly effect with this bon mot. The simple fact of the matter is, we don't know what the effects of time travel would be on the future. My suggestion is to go back and try and change something and see what happens. Flash E. Darling wanted to know if the atmosphere in the pre-Cambrian period would be breathable. Luckily, Wikipedia hero Ka checked up on the facts as the internet knows them, and determined that the oxygen levels would have been about 63% of modern times. And he ruled by GM Fiat that if humans can survive at high altitudes, they can probably adapt to that as well. Good enough for me. Back of the napkin figures, done. Off to the past for Turlobite Stew. I'll see you guys next week for the hard-shelled but surprisingly tasty feedback for episode 347. Next time, Scales. Or will I? Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated. We run under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Share it, but don't change it or charge for it. All other rights are reserved by our authors. We're a pro-paying market, and we can't do that without your support. So we live on your donations. Please find us at escapepod.org for our show notes and for the handy link to support our authors. Also, any money you give to Escape Pod will also go into a general pool for the authors paid by Pseudopod and Podcastle, our sister podcasts. You can find them at their.org domains as well. Our music is by permission of Daikaiju. You can hear more from them at daikaiju.org. That was our show for this week. Our quote comes from Patrick Stewart. I don't do impersonations. I can do a wounded elephant. I can do a really good cow. And because of the amount of time I spent in North Yorkshire, I do a variety of sheep, all of which I will be happy to roll out for you. I got nothing after that. Have fun and be mighty. Be mighty.